Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 194, Artemis Launch Director. I'm Pat Ryan. On this podcast, we talk with scientists, engineers, astronauts, and other folks about their part in America's space exploration program. Today, we're going to take another step in learning the details about the upcoming first flight of the Artemis program. NASA's Artemis program is focused on returning American astronauts to the moon through the use of the Space Launch System rocket, the Orion spacecraft, the Gateway Lunar Outpost, a new lunar lander, and the ground systems that support them all. Artemis is about going to the moon in a sustainable way, that is, to go to the moon to stay and learn how to support astronauts in that environment, in the process, getting ourselves ready to go on from there, to Mars. Back in January, Gary kicked off a series by talking to the Artemis mission manager, Mike Serafin, to get us started understanding what all is involved. And this week, we take another step. When Artemis 1 launches on the first test flight of the SLS with Orion atop, that launch team will work under the direction of Charlie Blackwell Thompson, the launch director for the Exploration Ground Systems Program at the Kennedy Space Center. A veteran of more than 30 years in the business at KSC and NASA's first female launch director, Blackwell Thompson started her career with Boeing as a payload flight software engineer and worked as lead electrical engineer for multiple Hubble Space Telescope servicing missions before joining NASA as a test director in the launch and landing division in 2004, working pre-launch processing, tanking, and launch countdown operations. We'll talk about the cool jobs on her resume and what it's been like getting a new program up on its feet to return American astronauts to the moon and the things that we should all be looking for when we watch that first Artemis launch. Artemis One launch director, Charlie Blackwell Thompson. Here we go. When we're starting with a, a topic like Artemis, something that's pretty new, I think it's important to make sure we understand what we're talking about and make sure that we don't leave people behind, assuming that uh, they know things that, that maybe we know. So Charlie Blackwell Thompson Tell me, what is Artemis, and, and what is the goal of this new program? Well, Artemis is a really exciting program that we have here at NASA, and it's all about returning our country to the moon, and this time in a sustainable way where we can learn to live off of our home planet in preparation for other deep space destinations. And so, you know, we are getting ready for humanity's next great leap, which is sending our astronauts to Mars. So it's a really exciting program um, for us here in the near term and also for generations to come. That's a great and succinct explanation of it because sometimes some people want to pretty it all up, but it's that simple. It's we're going to the moon to get ready to go beyond the moon. That's right. That is right. Why why is, is going to the to the moon important? What are we going to be able to learn there that uh, that we don't already know, that we need to know? Well, it, it really is about learning. Um, you know, with each exploration initiative, there comes scientific discovery, you know, technology advancement. 
and along with it, just inspiring a whole new generation toward exploration in STEM. And so if we, if we look back at Apollo, you know, we're still learning from the samples that we collected during that program. Right. And so if you, if you kind of fast forward and think about all that we're going to learn as we move forward and we visit new destinations on the lunar surface. Now, the Artemis program, as I understand it, is is structured into a, a couple of big subgroups. Uh, can you give me the, the thumbnail uh, explanation of, of what what those different components are that make up the Artemis program? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we talked about Artemis is about returning humanity to the moon. Well, to do that, you need an incredible launch vehicle. And so our sister program, SLS, has been developing the flight hardware, the flight elements that make up that very powerful rocket. And likewise, our sister program, Orion, has been developing this spacecraft that will take our crews into deep space, deeper than we've ever gone before. And so while Orion and SLS are developing those flight capabilities, my home program, EGS, has been busy developing the systems to support this flight hardware um, during the pre-launch and the recovery phase. So we've been developing ground systems, enhancing uh, infrastructure, all in preparation for this flight hardware and the processing of it, the integration of it together, the testing of it, and then ultimately the launch of this Artemis vehicle. And for the benefit of people who aren't aware, SLS is Space Launch System? Yes, and, it and is. EGS, that's your program, that is? Exploration Ground System. Tell me what's included in, it sounds like everything that doesn't fly? Pretty much everything that doesn't fly. Um, if I were to talk about the changes that we've made here um, since the space shuttle program, as an example, right. um, one that's really near and dear to my heart is right here in the Launch Control Center. Um, when you think about the work that Exploration, when I talk about the work that Exploration Ground Systems has done, I'll kind of touch on the different elements. So a lot of the the facility assets and, and some of the equipment that we use is, um, is from the shuttle program. But the capabilities and the needs of this rocket and spacecraft are really different. So in the Launch Control Center, we have modernized the firing rooms, both firing room one, two, and three. Um, firing room one and two are used on day of launch. Firing room one is our prime uh, and, uh, and our launch-capable firing room. If you've ever visited Fine Room 1 back during the shuttle program, you may remember that it had some Apollo-era blue furniture there. That's all been removed and, <laughs> okay. and replaced with more modern uh, designs. And along with it is also a new suite of software. The shuttle-era software that we had in the Launch Control Center was, was designed back in the, the 70s timeframe, 70s and 80s. And so we've replaced that with newer computing capability and a suite of software that we um, that is really designed specifically for the the SLS rocket, the Space Launch System rocket, and the Orion spacecraft. So here in my home facility, um, a lot of changes have been made, but it's not limited to the uh, Launch Control Center. If we were to step over to the VAB, uh, as vehicle another example, vehicle assembly building, right? Vehicle assembly building. That was our final integration point for shuttle. So. Back during the shuttle program, if 
we worked on the orbiter over in the orbiter processing facility, and then we would roll it over and it would get integrated with uh, the external tank and the boosters in the VAB, the Vehicle Assembly Building, mm-hmm. and get checked out, and then we would go out to the pad for launch. Um, the VAB is also our final integration point for the Artemis vehicle. Okay. But that's where you have your access your primary access to the vehicle in the vertical. And so if you think about the outer mold line of the shuttle, how different that is from the vehicle that we have, which is an inline vehicle that stands over 300 feet tall. Yeah, it's it's a rocket, as people traditionally think of rockets. It's one long tube. Well, in this case, it's got some attachments, but it, it doesn't look at all like a space shuttle. Correct. And so if you if you were to imagine that you had a set of platforms in in the VAB that extended out to give you access to the shuttle. Um, dash waters, one, four, three, eight, five, dash waters, and we one, point five, out, well, eight, five, that um, you mentioned a couple of times that being in the launch facility, that's where you're actually right now while we're talking. And it, that's it, that's that sound we're hearing. Yes, it is. Um, so we were talking you were talking about the. Uh, the uh, facilities inside the VAB that were there specifically for space shuttle, uh, which I guess are you're going to say are things that you don't need now. Right. And so it, the access to the vehicle is really different. And so the platforms that are over in the vehicle assembly building that were there in the shuttle era have all been removed, but they've been replaced with, with new access platforms because the needs and the requirements are very different based on the outer mold line shape of the vehicle. And so there's been quite a few changes over in the vehicle assembly building um, in the platform set that's available in the services that you provide to the rocket itself and the spacecraft and to those interface points with which they are provided. So uh, quite a few changes over there. One of the other fairly significant changes is that is the mobile launcher itself. The mobile launcher serves as our launch platform. Right. Um, we utilize it in the VAB. It also serves as an interface point to the vehicle for critical services. And uh, and it rolls, you know, we roll it to the pad and it remains with the vehicle for launch. So um, some fairly significant changes in the vehicle assembly building. Likewise, out at the pad, you may recall that during Apollo and shuttle, we had a lot of, um, of service structure that was in place there, and oh, that's, yeah. been, that's been removed. We have a clean pad concept that allows for reduced uh, operations and maintenance cost over the long term. You know, our launch facility sits on the beach, and so um, it's, it's exposed. And so we've found over time that the clean pad concept reduces those costs and and, uh, and so helps with those operations and maintenance uh, areas. And so we have a clean pad, so it looks really different than Launch Complex 39B looked during the shuttle era. You mean less hardware out there that's exposed to the elements? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that doesn't, so it's, there's less out there to be degraded to buy them or to have to undergo costly repair. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. And so there's been a lot of a lot of changes, and then certainly last but but not least is our crawler transporter. You know, it's been Ooh, in yeah. service for a very long time. We used it during Apollo, we used it during shuttle, and we intend to use it during Artemis. But it has gone through some uh, upgrades to prepare it for the increased weight of this vehicle, and we have certainly utilized it several times as we have rolled the mobile launcher out to the pad for various verification and validation 
testing that we've done over the last year or two. So um, all of all of our GSE, some of it is brand new because it supports the unique uh, requirements of the vehicle, but some of the the infrastructure and, and maybe big pieces of hardware that, that folks would be familiar with back from the shuttle program, they're still in service. They've just been given a bit of an overhaul. And is GSC, is that ground support something? Equipment, it, yes. Ground GSE, support equipment. I got you. Cool. And Charlie, you are the, the launch director in Exploration Ground Systems. You're going to be the launch director for the first flight, for Artemis 1. Um, tell me what, what the job means. What does it entail? Well, the first thing it means to me is that I'm really lucky, right? Really yeah. lucky to have this amazing opportunity and to work with such an incredible group of people. Um, you know, first don't come along that often. And to be at the beginning of a program that is going to take the first woman and the next man back to the moon is pretty special, it's pretty yeah. special to me. Um, the responsibilities of the launch director is to make sure in the planning phase that we have the products, the services, the capabilities, and our team is ready for launch. And and those are pretty pretty broad descriptions. But when I talk about things like products, it's it's the launch countdown procedure. It's developing the you know the steps, the very specific steps that we will go through within our launch countdown for configuring the ground equipment, mm -hmm. configuring the flight vehicle, checking it out. The instruction manual. It tells the you how it to, is. How it to, is the to... instruction manual. Um, and so we have to go put that together. We have to establish the timelines. I mean, we are working toward a launch window that that opens, and we want to be ready when that launch window opens. And so we also want to make sure that our timelines are put together and that we measure ourselves against those timelines as we go through launch because we have some areas where we can catch up, but we also have some, some areas for what we call critical path, which is, you know, we really need to, to do these things in a very specific order in a very specific timeline. And so it's putting that, that timeline together. It's also the development of our launch commit criteria, which is the rules with which we are go or no go on launch day. And um, so those are the things when I talk about products, those are some of the specific things that I'm talking about. Right. Um, when, I, when I speak about capabilities, it's ensuring that our capabilities are in line with our day of launch needs. And, and capabilities, again, is another really broad category, but it's things like you know, the, the nets that we talk on, right? We have to be able to talk to our team across a, a number of different channels, we have mm -hmm. to be able to talk to the flight control team that's back at Johnson, have to be able to talk to the engineering design centers. And so it's, it's ensuring that we have all of that capability in place for launch day. It's sometimes a simple, and that's a pretty complex capability. Well, it's, yeah. it's some simple capabilities too, which are, you know, what are the platforms that we're running our electronic procedures on? And do they allow us to, to very, um, you know, easily work our way through the steps and, and buy them off and for our team to have visibility to that? So it, capabilities is a, 
is a pretty big, pretty big bucket that there's a lot of different things in that, but it's ensuring that all that we need on launch day is in place and is working for us. It sounds like it's not just strictly any communications capabilities, but any sorts of systems that support the work that all of these people uh, who are working the launch need in order to succeed, to complete that job. Absolutely. Um, And then there's the team piece, of course, which is, you know, is our team ready? So, you know, do we have our products in place? Do we have our software done? Do we have our procedures ready? But it's also, is our team ready? And so we have a, a suite of, of training that we do with our team to ensure we do simulations very similar to what the flight control team does, except ours are very focused on the pre-launch phase. But we will go through our operations a number of times with our launch team to ensure that we're ready for our nominal launch countdown and we're also ready for any problems that may arise on uh on launch day and that we have the right, what we call pre-planned contingencies in place, but it's really a, what's our plan if this happens? How if do we go goes wrong. through it? Yeah, what, what are we going to do if something goes wrong? Yes. Mm-hmm. And can we get ourselves to a go or a no-go state? Are we done for the day when that when this problem arises, or do we have, do we have some things we can go do, some redundancy we can employ, some, um, some, additional capability that allows us to go fly the vehicle. It sounds like you're talking about education. You're, you're teaching everybody who's a member of that team to know everything about their particular area of expertise and then how everyone would work together to respond to something that was unexpected. Absolutely. You know, we're teaching each other. Um, yeah. we're, we're all learning together as part of those those simulations and those training exercises. Being the launch director responsible for the development of all of that sounds like the heck of a big responsibility. Tell me about how you got yourself ready to to take that up. Tell me about, about your background. What was your professional path that got you here? Absolutely. I'm happy to share that. So I came to Kennedy Space Center as a senior in college. I was lucky enough to get an interview with um, with one of the contractors here at, at KSC mm-hmm. that was responsible for the processing of payload flight hardware. And when I was in school, I had an engineering, I'm a computer engineering major, and one of the one of the areas that I was interested in and in school was software. I didn't want to write code. I knew that that was not my thing, right. but I was interested in testing it and in doing verification and validation. And so I was lucky enough that in one of my interviews, um, I had mentioned that I wanted to do the software testing and, and one of the contractors was looking for someone that was interested in doing software testing. And so I, got a call back and they brought me here to Kennedy Space Center and um, absolute, you know, thrilled to be here, yeah. to be able to see the spatial orbiter. But when I walked in, and, it, and it, it's not lost on me that it was firing room one, which by the way is where we're going to launch from. Right. Um, but when I walked in firing room one, the team was preparing space shuttle discovery for return to flight after Challenger. Oh. And, I 
I was just struck by the work that they were doing. I wanted to be a part of that team. I wanted to earn myself a seat in the room. And, uh, and I was lucky enough over time to, to do that. And so I started, I was working in software and, and I did that for a couple of years. I, I moved up to, to work on not just payload flight software, but to work on avionics systems on, on payloads that, that were flying in the space shuttle. So I got to work on them offline in their avionics integration and tests. And then I got to come when they were installed in the space shuttle, I got to, to come and check out the communications and the avionics interface between cool. the, the payload systems and the, and the orbiter systems. You had to put your hands on the space shuttle. I did, and I also got to put my hands on the on the the payload flight hardware. So I got an opportunity over the course of my career. I can't really believe how incredibly blessed I've been. Um, I got to work on Hubble Space Telescope. Oh. I, I got to work on the the servicing missions that followed. Uh-huh. The International Space Station assembly elements. Some awesome observatories, gamma ray observatories, some planetary missions. So just really had, and, and, you know, each of them were different, so it was always something to go learn. Nice. And after I did that for about 15 years, I um, had an opportunity to move over to NASA in the civil servant workforce and become a test director. And I took that opportunity, and um, and that was a, a huge change from from working in payloads and working in command and data handling and electrical systems and, and moving over to the test director office. But it was a great opportunity for me to learn, to, to kind of look more broadly across shuttle processing. And, uh, and so I did that until the shuttle program ended. I became a certified, uh, launch certified NASA test director. So I had an opportunity to launch from that position uh, a number of times and and stayed either in the NTD role or the chief NTD role, which is NASA test director, or the assistant launch director role uh, until the end of the program. So um, had a lot of time in the in the firing room. Mm. After shuttle ended, I I led a division within the ground processing directorate, and and that was a lot of really good work. Gave me a, a lot of. Uh, new skills, but I was always called back to that firing room and always called back to the flight hardware. And so um, a few years ago, back in 2016, I, I got an opportunity to start helping, or I guess in 2015, start helping with the launch planning for um, the Artemis vehicle. And uh, and so here I am. <laughs> that, do you have any good sense yet? And, and granted, you haven't actually launched an Artemis mission, but as you're getting ready for it, do you have a sense of whether being the Artemis launch director is significantly different than being the launch director for other kinds of, of rockets or missions that launch at the Kennedy Space Center? Um, I would say that the role is, is because I had a firsthand view, although I, did, I wasn't a launch director in shuttle, I right. was an assistant launch director, but I had a firsthand view of what the shuttle launch director did and so i would say it's it's similar not quite the same but it, if if i were to pick most similarity i would say it's very similar to the role of the shuttle launch director okay a few minutes ago you were started going through some of the uh, the process of what 
the Artemis launch director preparing for the first mission, uh, the kinds of things that you've had to do. You're talking, are, were there other changes on ground systems that, that we hadn't gotten to yet? There are other other things than besides the the VAB and, and the uh, the crawler transporter. Big changes that you've made. Um, I would say those are the probably the biggest is that mm-hmm. you know we have a mobile launcher that um, provides those critical services. I didn't talk a whole lot about that. That was uh, repurposed from the Constellation program. Um, the biggest, most visible changes are in the VAB out at the pad, and I would say in the launch control center. But certainly. Yeah. Across the center, um, there there are changes within each of those major facilities um, that are very unique to support to this vehicle. I mean, new, when I talk about ground support equipment, um, there is a a suite of ground support equipment that has been either upgraded, changed, enhanced uh, to support the needs of of this vehicle. And when I talk about that, it's everything from, you know, the purges on the vehicle to, um, you know, the, the software in which we control certain functions. Um, it just across the board, really significant changes because the needs of this vehicle are, are quite different than what we had back in shuttle. And even in the cases where it may be similar, you know, some of the equipment from shuttle had been around for a really long time and was, really in need of upgrade, either for obsolescence reasons right. or, or just, you know, maintainability reasons. You got, you're developing a system that is specific to the needs of the, the rocket that you're launching, the rocket and the spacecraft that, that you're launching. By yeah. the way, is, is the Artemis One launch director much involved in the development of the rocket and the spacecraft itself? Well, I would say that our, our sister programs, SLS, and Orion are responsible for the development of the rocket and the spacecraft. Where the launch director comes in is when we begin to talk about the launch operations and kind of keeping the end in mind, it's it's in that requirements development piece, I would say. It's in formulating some of the capabilities that, that we need. Um, so we are involved. It's, it's not our direct responsibility, but right. certainly when we think about launching the vehicle, we, you know, we have to think about, well, what do we need and what is the timeline in which we need to do this? Um, and so we are involved in those, those dis- design discussions and, and decisions, um, you know, from a making an input for maybe it's for operability. Hey, for launch, you know, if we could do it this way, um, this would be a great help to us because we are constrained, you know, by either the timeline or maybe by other work. So it's really important to be a part of those discussions in the development phase because elsewise, you know, you, you get it and then you kind of got to make do with, with, with what you have in terms of this is what the work takes. So hmm. it's really a partnership between the, the operations team and the development team. You know, the development team is responsible for developing the flight hardware, but the, the operations team is you know, is invested in providing <laughs> the the inputs of this makes it much easier for us on the ground in the pre-launch phase or in the launch phase if we do, you know, solution A versus solution B. You don't want them to develop a system that is hard to operate. Correct. Yeah. That, the first flight of Artemis, the first Artemis flight or the next flight is not going to have any astronauts on board. So are there significant developments in or differences 
in developing procedures for a flight with no astronauts as opposed to the subsequent flights, which all will have people on board? That's a great question. Um, there are differences. The, the great thing is, you know, we expect to get a really solid baseline from Artemis One on what it takes to configure the ground, what it takes to configure the SLS rocket, the upper stage, and Orion to some degree um, from Artemis One. And once we write those procedures, I'm a big fan of we write it once, we use it many times because mm. once you write it and you you use it and you iterate on it, it, it's kind of working from a proven product. And so to me, that's the great thing about utilizing our launch countdown procedures between Artemis One and Artemis Two, but there are absolutely differences. The most notable, of course, is when we close out the crew module. So for when we have crew, just like we, you see for some of the other vehicles uh, and we saw in shuttle, is that after, um, in the later part of our countdown, for us and Artemis, after we get finished with our tanking phase, you know, the crew will go to the pad, um, we'll have crew ingress, and then we will go through our crew module closeout where we do com checks with the crew, we finish out our work in the crew module, and we begin backing out, closing the hatch, and then leaving the pad uh, in preparation for launch. On Artemis One, we don't have that work to do, and so we're all about you know, buying down schedule risk and technical risk as we go, so we can close that crew module out before we ever tank the vehicle. Mm. And, and so we'll do that on Artemis One. So that would be the biggest change between Artemis 1 and 2 is that you won't see that activity post-tanking for Artemis 1. We'll have the crew module buttoned up. Um, we will have closed out the, the white room. We'll have closed the hatch before we ever leave the pad for tanking on Artemis 1. So that'll be a big difference uh, for Artemis 2. And it will certainly add some time into our timeline as well. Or, or there's less things to do, so the timeline will be a bit shorter. For Artemis okay. One, that is yeah. correct. Let's talk more about Artemis One. Um, tell me, I, I, they, I refer to the fact that there'll be no people on board, but you tell me, what are the objectives of this first flight in the Artemis program? So the objectives of Artemis One is we're building a capability, right? We're building a capability to send people back to the moon. And so Artemis One is about testing out some of those capabilities that we need before we send crew into space. And one of the primary capabilities that we're testing out is the integrated vehicle and the performance and the capabilities of it because it'll be the first time that we have launched the SLS rocket with the upper stage with the Orion spacecraft. Right. And so we'll be testing out that capability. Um, the other piece is is the um, is the Orion heat shield and how it performs as we go through reentry. And so I know that my flight director friends will probably talk to you more about that <laughs> um, when when you talk to them. But those are two of the big objectives as part of Artemis One. And then there's some other objectives related to to some payload activities. And then of course the recovery of the Orion spacecraft at the end of the mission. So it's. In, in the simplest of terms for Artemis One, it's about testing out critical capability that 
Um, we will then, once we know that that critical capability is in place and is sound, we'll be ready to put crew on Artemis II and then certainly um, sending the, the crew into deep space and uh, checking out the, the capability there of the spacecraft and how it all performs with the crew interface and the additional systems there and then getting ready for Artemis III and Boots on the Moon. So it's, a, it's an incremental approach for how we build this capability toward returning to the moon. Is the launch director particularly interested in what happens after you get it off the ground? Oh, I That's, absolutely <laughs> am. Not I'm, your responsibility I'm, anymore, right? It is, it is uh, at liftoff, at booster ignition and liftoff, um, the launch director hands off to the ascent flight director. Right. And so from a, are you um, directly involved um, the answer is no, I'm not. Am I interested? Absolutely, <laughs> because we're all stakeholders in this, and uh, and you know we're it really is in some ways like you're handing the baton to your partner, really? and you yeah. know you want to hand them the best vehicle, the most capable vehicle that you can, and and likewise, my flight director friends want to hand that you know, that vehicle back to the landing recovery director at the end. And so we are all partners in this together. And, and, you know, certainly like the nation will be, I will be watching with intrigue and wonder oh, yeah. um, as we go through the different phases of the mission. Help us, uh, all the rest of us who don't know yet, help us understand what happens leading up to that launch. Um, you pick some point at, you know, a launch minus however far you want it to be and and give me uh, the the story of of what's going to happen there around the Kennedy Space Center and what sorts of 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 events and milestones are going to happen as your team gets this vehicle ready to fly well um so let's see i could start at at any at any point i would say in in terms of i'm going to say Let's talk about maybe in the, I'll talk about some visible pieces in a moment, but if I were to say step back, you know, a, a year, maybe a, okay. a year-ish, um, what are the, the things that we're doing here to get ready for launch? Well, some of it I talked about already, but it's, the, it's in development. It's receiving the requirements from our flight element uh, sister programs that say, here is the services, here are the needs of, of this vehicle. And so it is developing the, the procedures, it's developing the software, it's developing everything that we need to put these flight elements together and to test them out to ensure that they're ready to go fly. And that's, that's not a small undertaking, that's oh. a fairly significant uh, development effort in terms of the procedures and the software and of course you have to you even if i were to back up before that before you get the flight hardware you know over the last many years we have been developing these capabilities here at kennedy space center for um to support the vehicle and and it sometimes it's things that you may not think about i'll give an example okay um we have out at the pad at launch, um, and you, you've probably seen this uh, in, the, in the past, but at T0, or in and around T0, 
um, during the ascent um, phase, very very close to being off the pad, right? There's a there's a there's an acoustic environment that is created by the 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 booster ignition and and there's a big sound wave that kind of bounces off of the deck if you will of the mobile launcher and one of the very simple ways that we mitigate that to to create any adverse effects to the vehicle is that we flood the deck with water right. now that sounds pretty simple but there's actually a, a pretty specific timing sequence to that and when you want to have that deck flooded with water if you flood it too soon the water will have you know, would will have run off the sides and down through the gone. plane trench, and you won't really have the covering that you need. And so, while that sounds simple and easy, <laughs> it requires um, it requires testing. And and so, we had spent some amount of time kind of tuning, if you will, the 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 start of the water um, and and kind of the the timing of it because we want to have it just right. And while that sounds pretty simple, it, it it turns out to be a number of different tests, you know, to get it exactly where you want it um, relative to T0. And so there are many, many tests, many development efforts like that that have been ongoing for many years. Um, we are glad to be working our way through those and get them behind us because we're excited about this flight hardware coming to Kennedy Space Center. I can um, imagine. I, I can imagine that it's it's kind of the, you know, the the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And you got to work through those steps in order to figure out when is the right time to turn on the water and how much and from what directions. And just as an example of the kinds of, of procedures that you've got to develop, even if just by trial and error. Correct. Correct. And so there's all of that work that happens, I would say, you know, years before and probably not nearly as visible the same thing is true with the with the software in the launch control center. I mean, developing a new suite of software for a brand new vehicle while you're building the flight hardware at the same time, you know, comes with comes with some challenges. And so, um, you know, we've been we've been developing that software. We're just about to the finish line on it. And so, you know, but that's one of those things that kind of happens that is maybe not as visible, but but starts many years many years before. But Kind of bringing um, bringing it back to what are the visible the visible pieces that'll be maybe here more in the near term okay. is a um, couple things. Um, first, the core stage is due to arrive here very soon. They have finished up their green run testing. It was hugely successful. Um, our team was in firing room one, following along during that testing activity. Uh -huh. It was um, it was amazing to see that stage run the full duration, uh, to see those engines light and, and gimbal and uh, and just run through that full duration run was something incredibly special. And for me, when that test was over and they were in uh, post cutoff safing, I couldn't help but think. You know, the next time those engines light, it's launch day. Mm. So no more um, test firings of them until then. What's that? No, there's no more no more testing of them until then. There, there, there is testing of the engines, but there's no more firing, firing of, them. of them. Okay, good. I didn't realize that. That's yeah, yeah that's an interesting. To think about. Yeah, as a launch director, I often have I I look at things with a with a lens toward launch, and so it's not uncommon for. You know, for me to when I think about different milestones, I had the same thought during during hot fire um, and during the wet dress activities. And when I was 
thinking about, you know, the next time we tank this vehicle, it's wet dress day. Mm. And, and the time we tank it after that is launch day. And so we are, you know, we're really one tanking away from launch day. And if I can, when you refer to wet dress, that's another step in, in the preparation of a, of, a, of a test run of a sort. It, it is, and, and that's one of those, the, when we talk about big milestones, I talked about core stage getting here, which is the last piece of flight hardware for the Artemis vehicle. It will be the final piece. So everything else is here at Kennedy Already Space there. Center. Yep. And everything is in process, um, either in testing or in preparation phase. So um, when the when the core stage gets here very soon, that'll be, um, that's a, a big deal for us. And, uh, and then after it gets here, maybe not quite as visible milestones will be the, the integration of the hardware and the testing that follows in the VAB. I mean, all very important tests, right? We begin to put the, the boosters are stacked up in the VAB right now and just waiting. Hmm. And so the core stage will come, we'll get integrated with the boosters. Um, the upper stage will get integrated up on top and then Orion up on top of that. And there's a series of tests that we do Prior to what, prior to uh, rollout for wet dress rehearsal, but wet dress rehearsal and the rollout for it, I think, will be a really big and very visible milestone for for us as yeah. an enterprise, because it means that the vehicle has been fully integrated, the vehicle has been fully tested in the vehicle assembly building, and we are ready to roll to the pad for wet dress rehearsal. And what wet dress rehearsal is, is a wet dress rehearsal for launch. Okay. And so wet, we, and that's wet as opposed to dry, and I'm taking the, that that has to do with fuel. It does. Okay. So we will go through the loading profile for both core stage and upper stage, so we'll tank the vehicle. Um, we will go through the launch countdown operations uh, down to terminal count, and then uh, we will have a planned cutoff. So we'll go um, down to about uh, 10 seconds in the countdown, and then we'll call it a day. But it will be an opportunity to go in a wet environment to do a dress rehearsal for launch. Okay. As you, um, as we, you get to I'm, I'm I'm thinking ahead to the to the actual flight. I guess you know the excitement. <laughs> you want to think about that, but you you said a moment ago that as the launch director, you you actually hand off responsibility for the vehicle fairly soon after it gets off the ground. Are are there any other responsibilities that your team has then all the way to the completion of the mission, or is that all the responsibility of of the flight control teams? It is the, the flight phase is the responsibility of the flight control team. Now, we are there to support them mm-hmm. um, because sometimes there are questions about, you know, did you see this on the ground or, you know, what did you guys observe during testing? And so we are part of the mission management team meetings that happen on a daily basis. And so we are absolutely there to, to support our flight control uh, teammates. But um, in terms of the responsibility for the vehicle, it resides with them. 
that does exploration ground systems then come back into play on any given mission once the vehicle returns? When it, once it, the it, Orion returns, it absolutely returns? does, and it's actually there's a handoff at the at the end of the mission. So the flight control team is responsible uh, for the landing operations, but the recovery director, who is exploration ground systems, and that's Melissa Jones, um, she is responsible for the recovery of the spacecraft and the preparation of it to return here to Kennedy uh, after the mission is done. And so Melissa will have a, a team of, of folks that will be ready to make those recovery operations. And, uh, and I think she's, you're also planning to talk to her a little bit about that. But absolutely, so we're kind of on the front end of the mission, getting ready for launch, and then on the, the back end of the mission as we recover the spacecraft and, and bring it back here to Kennedy for um, processing and, and making ready for um, any future needs. So as we look ahead through this year toward, uh, you know, as we get closer to when Artemis 1 is going to happen, what kind of milestones would you maybe advise people to, to keep an eye out for? What, what, what big things are going to happen between now and then that are sending this, the message that we're, we're getting closer? This is still happening, and we're, we're actually making progress here. Well, I think the milestone of course stage arriving here at Kennedy is a significant milestone for us um, because it means not just to us but to, to everyone that is watching that all of the flight hardware has arrived here. It is here at the launch site, mm -hmm. and now it is in the final preparations for launch. Um, likewise, I think once the, the testing is done, I think that rollout for launch, very visible milestone, it's going to be an amazing sight when that vehicle rolls out of the vehicle assembly building, high bay number three. And make sure that it doesn't bump its head on the way out too. <laughs> it is a, it's a really tall vehicle. And I have watched a number of rollouts. You know, as the launch director, you are responsible for um, directing the team and leading the team during those roll operations. And, and I've seen a number of vehicles roll past the, the windows of the LCC on their way to the pad. Yeah. And I can't wait to see this one for the first time because it is going to be something incredibly special. Um, I, I, um, I've been around a long time, and uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to because I think it's going to be something that I haven't seen before and many haven't seen before in, in terms of just how stately this vehicle is going to look when it comes through those doors. It's also got a terrific uh, symbolic importance because of where it's going and what it's going to do. Absolutely. Charlie Blackwell-Thompson, thank you so much for uh, helping us understand better what's going on at the Kennedy Space Center and what, we, what we'll see when it comes time for uh, Artemis to fly. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure to be here today. Um, I hope you've got a sense that this is an incredible vehicle. It's, um, it's got an incredible mission. We're excited here at Kennedy, and, uh, you know, I feel just extremely blessed to be a part of this. So thank you for letting me be a part of uh, your afternoon. Actually, a huge honor.
Things are coming together more and more as the calendar moves closer and closer to the next launch for Project Artemis. Not happening as fast as some people would like, of course, but you can hear from the launch director that the folks on the ground are seeing progress in getting through the series of tests and in processing and assembly. The podcast will be working on future episodes that will let us bring you more details about these future missions. You can always learn more by going online to nasa.gov slash Artemis or nasa.gov slash moon to Mars to keep up with developments and dig deep into the background. I can remind you, too, that you can go online to keep up with all things NASA at nasa.gov. be a good idea for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. When you go to those sites, use the hashtag AskNASA to submit a question or suggest a topic for us. Just make sure to indicate that it's for Houston We Have a Podcast. You can find the full catalog of all of our episodes by going to nasa.gov slash podcasts and scrolling to our name. You can also find all the other good NASA podcasts right there at the same spot, nasa.gov slash podcast. This episode was recorded on April 15th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Gary Jordan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, and Jennifer Hernandez for their help with the production. To Catherine Hamilton and Tony Jaramillo for making the arrangements. And to Charlie Blackwell Thompson for helping advance our education on the upcoming flight of Project Artemis. We'll be back next week.